Welcome to another episode of the Black Menaces Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Bird. I'm here with my co-host. Rachel Weaver. We're happy for another week. Yes, indeed. And we have a very special guest on the show. Uh, someone who is very close to me personally. None other than my beautiful, wonderful, illustrious sister, <laughs> Alexandria Napualani Bird. Not the full Period. name. The full government name. <laughs> You're getting it today. Yeah, like you said, I'm Alexandria Bird. I usually go by Allie Bird or Lil Bird, either one. And I'm happy to be on the Black Muses podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to hear more from Allie later on today. She's going to talk about her experience at the uh, civil rights seminar that she recently attended, uh, as well as a few other things. But before we get into that, you know what it is. We got the Menace Moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week, we're going to do someone that actually Dr. Rue had mentioned like several weeks ago when he was on the, the podcast. Um, and I had had it in my head to do it, but, you know, um, had to do a few other people first. So we're going to do Robert, Roberto Clemente. Um, he was a Puerto Rican right fielder who played 18 seasons in the major leagues or the major league baseball um, for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So he was born August 18, 1934 in Barrio San Anton. Carolina, Puerto Rico. Okay, come on, accent. Uh-huh, you know. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what kind of accent that was, but... Uh, said, uh, I had, okay. had to do it as best I could. Uh, my, my Puerto Ricans, tell me how I did. Um, he's the youngest of seven children, and because of the family's limited resources, he and his brothers worked alongside his father in the fields, um, like harvesting sugarcane, um, and they loaded and unloaded trucks as well. As a child, he was a track. Clemente was a track and field star, and he was also an Olympic hopeful. I don't know if that means that he was like on track to go to the Olympics or if he just wanted to, um, but he was an Olympic hopeful before he decided to focus on baseball. Um, once he did that, his professional career began at age 18 um, when he accepted a contract from Pedrin Zoria with, ooh, what does this say? Cangrejeros de Santurce, which are the crabbers. It's like a team in um, in Puerto Rico, like a, uh, the Puerto Rican Professional Baseball League. Um, and so he signed with them in Oct- on October 9th, 1952. And he was a bench player during his first season, but then was promoted to the Cangrejeros starting lineup the following season. Um, during that season, he hit 288 as the team's leadoff hitter. And then... He was offered a minor league contract by the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1954. So he was um, brought to the United States to play for a AAA team or a minor league team. And then later that fall, he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates. um, And he actually began his career with them in April of 1955. Uh, While he played professionally, uh, he also joined the United States Marine Corps Reserves in 1958. And he served with them until 1964. Um, during his career, he had a batting average of .317. Uh, he had 3,000 hits, 240 home runs, 1,305 runs batted in. He was an all-star for 13 seasons and selected for 15 all-star teams. He was also the first player from the Caribbean and Latin America to win a World Series as a starting position player in 1960. Uh, he was the first to receive an NL MVP award, uh, was that National League MVP award in 1966, and to receive a World Series MVP award in 1971. Um, he was very involved in charitable work, um, and his 
charitable work is actually uh, how he ended up dying. So he spent a lot of his time involved in charity work. Um, and when there was an earthquake in the earthquake in the capital city of Nicaragua, um, he visited the city for three weeks or he had visited the city like a little bit before the earthquake happened. Um, and so when he found out about the earthquake, he set to work like arranging emergency relief flights. Um, and he had sent a bunch of aid packages down, but the first three flights that had been, that he had sent down with supplies had been diverted by corrupt officials. And so they never got to the victims of the earthquake. So on the fourth flight, he decided to, to accompany the pilot down to make sure that the supplies got to uh, who they were supposed to go to. But unfortunately, the plane, um, it, was, it took off on New Year's Eve, uh, but it had a history of mechanical problems and also didn't have enough flight personnel. So they were missing a flight engineer and a co-pilot, which is wild. Um, and then it was also overloaded by over 4,000 pounds. And so it crashed into the Atlantic right after it took off on December 31st, 1972. And um, they never did find, oh, let me see a few days out there. Yeah, I, believe, I don't think they ever found his body. I could be reading this wrong. Oh. Yeah, they never found his body. Um, they just found like a couple of his personal effects. Um, and yeah, he, uh, so that's how he passed away in 1972. Um, because of the career that he had, he was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame posthum posthumously in 1973, so literally right after he, he died. Um, and he became both the first Caribbean and the first Latin American basketball player to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Um, and because he died at such a young age and had such a historic career, the Hall of Fame changed its rules of eligibility. Uh, wow. So that, yeah, so that... Um, as an alternative to a player having to be retired for five years before being eligible, a player who has been deceased for at least six months is also eligible for entry. Mm -hmm. And then the Pirates retired his jersey number, uh, which was number 21. So that is the story of Roberto Clemente. I wanted to share a little bit about him because Dr. Rue had said that they're trying to ban like teaching about him in Florida, which they're trying to ban. I saw today that in what, Utah... What else? I saw today in Utah, they're, they're, somebody's trying to introduce a bill to, to ban snowboarding. Like For what? I, I guess because <laughs> snowboarding is like, so I, apparently like people who ski really hate people who snowboard because they, oh, they like, they mess up the snow, I guess, because they leave like bigger tracks and like people who like to ski are all snobby about it. So I'm I so guess confused. somebody who skis is trying to have <laughs> snowboarding banned. Snow? Like, we need help. If that's right. what we're doing in life. All the snow we done got this year, we're trying to ban snowboarding. Also, if y'all don't wait. you're very rich and privileged. That's what you're worried about. Mm -hmm. Like, right. be so for real. Like, <laughs> like it's fine. The median income in, in Utah is like 30000 but or not median, like average. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, yeah. there's so many things going on, but snowboarding is what we need to be worried about. Right. Banning we out here that. trying to ban oh, DEI, yeah. ban yes. snowboarding, put uh, curfew restrictions on social media. Well, what's crazy is like I went to this presentation for um, my job today about um, my history of LGBTQ plus people in mm -hmm. the United States and like realizing that there are 20 something states that are have anti LGBTQ plus laws that they're trying to pass, mm -hmm. you know, not just D, but like actively. That's how like, Utah is one of them. Exactly. That's half the country. So just like hearing that in context really is just like. 
Yeah. It's it's scary where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. I'm trying to get a dual citizenship or something. But um, yeah, so Roberto Clemente and this interesting place that we call the state of Utah. <laughs> um, all right, and with that, we're gonna jump right into it. So, Ali, you want to kind of introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us why are you in Utah? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so, let's see, where do I start? Um, so, I'm studying at Brigham Young University. I'm studying exercise and wellness with a minor in communications. And that's basically the reason why I'm in Utah. If it wasn't for school, I don't think I would be here at all. But um, I guess a little bit about me. I'm Nate's brother or Nate's sister. <laughs> and that's news to me. <laughs> right. I was like, wow, that's crazy. She's like, okay, go go off. Um, let's see what else. I'm kind of nervous. Um, I'm 22 years old. I oh, I'm so old. I know. I used so to change old. her diapers. Old maid. Oh, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> this I love this. This is what you signed up for. We are for the embarrassment? I should at least huh? be getting paid for the embarrassment. Listen. <laughs> I was just saying, we had Ronald on last week. Now we had you on this week. It's oh, cool. that's true. Sibling edition. So that's crazy. Sibling I didn't think about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like it. I can see a theme. I like it. Wow, look <laughs> at us. We did that without even trying. We really did. Y'all think we planned this? Nope. Sure didn't. <laughs> we planned it yesterday. Anyway. It was meant I'm to be. Sorry. It was meant to be. Anyways, <laughs> let's see. A little bit more about me. I love to make videos. I like singing and dancing. I'd like figure skating. I did a little bit of figure skating in high school. It was so. very, very good. Mm, I was Natu- right. You were naturally okay. talented. Don't play. Don't, I don't, don't know. <laughs> Ali was out here doing spins and pirouettes and leaps and jumps I, after like a few months. No, pirouettes are ballet. Okay, well. Listen, and I believe whatever I you're saying, Nate, I believe you because <laughs> I've known Ali since I got back from my mission in... Like 2020? 2020, yeah, sorry. It just changed yeah. like the video. It just changed. So I was like... Oh, yeah, that oh, was okay. me. No, you're good. I've known Alice since I got back from my mission. Boom, I perspective this year in 2023. This girl is singing. I've never seen singing. Alice sing like this. Singing. I didn't know she could sing like yeah, this. Yeah, she can sing. She be hiding. I'm it. shy. What I'm is shy. this? I've never known this talent about this woman. So, yeah. yeah. Ali definitely has hidden talents that she don't want nobody to know. We out here hiding her light under a bushel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> I mean, I never made it to the Olympics. That's that's the thing. So through no fault but, of your own, that was oh, that's yeah. a whole other thing. That that's a whole another talk for another day. Yeah. <laughs> and let's see what else. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. And I'm very passionate about activism and creating or strengthening the Black community within your community. And so lately I've just been trying to figure out in what way do I want to fight for justice and what's kind of my style fighting, what's my place, what are the gifts and talents that I have that I can use to help people. And that's actually one thing that the Civil Rights Seminar has helped me learn about. So I can go ahead and start talking about that. Yeah, for sure. So do you want to just kind of, so you you recently had the opportunity to go on the Civil Rights Seminar. Mm -hmm. Took you long enough. Took you like three years to go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to kind of 
just like tell us. I mean, yeah, you can you can elaborate on that. Just like short story. Okay. Yeah, explain explain what it is because we've touched on it in the Mm -hmm. podcast a few times before. Like we've mentioned it, but Mm kind of explain what what it is, what the class is, and then like yeah, then go into your story as well. Okay, so um, so I finally got the chance to go on the civil rights seminar trip. Yeah, do you want to tell us what it is first and kind of like break that down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Sorry. (laughs) So. Uh, basically, the Civil Rights Seminar is a class. It's a smaller class at Brigham Young University. You have to apply to get in, and it's about the civil rights movement. And so it talks about um, civil rights and kind of how the movement started from slavery all the way up until today and age. So it talks about the civil rights movement in the 60s, also slavery, um, Reconstruction, and then also what happened after the civil rights movement. So it's really black history at its finest, and it's really amazing. And so it welcomes in black students and also students of other races. Um, And so usually the classes, whichever year they are, they're very diverse in people of, um, in terms of race or in background or experiences and so that's kind of what my group was like what my class was like and so I actually applied to go to the class in 2020 but then it got canceled because of COVID and then I took off a year and a half from school and so I finally got to go on it this year just last month so the class just kind of just to be clear you took yeah. a year and a half off for your mission yes for a yeah. mission i don't know if i don't know people yeah people know no mm-hmm. what it, okay yeah <laughs> so i served so a, for a mission yeah i served a mission for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints so i just recently got back in july so i finally got the chance to go on the trip so i just retook the class basically just so that I could do the reading, do the lectures, and just kind of relearn all the things, kind of get a refresh of it. Because I really wanted to get the fullness of the trip and kind of get the full experience and also do you know the background research before I went. And so the, the class kind of started off just with regular lectures. And it's definitely my favorite class at BYU that I've ever taken because I feel like I learned so much in that class just within one class period, probably more than I would learn in an entire semester (laughs) with a different class. Mm -hmm. And I think I also felt the most comfortable in that class as well. And BYU is kind of all about spiritual education, spiritual enhancement. Mm -hmm. And I think... They like to think they are. They they say it's one of their goals. (laughs) But I've never really felt that in any of my classes, not even in the religion-based classes. I felt it most in this class. Mm -hmm. And so... I loved learning about black history, different black historical figures, things like that. And so we got to go on the trip in the middle of March. So we went to different places like Atlanta, Montgomery, Birmingham, Tuskegee, Selma, and some other places. Those were the main ones. So we got to go there in the middle of March. And I think my favorite parts out of the trip overall just was getting to know everybody in the group. We had a very diverse group with people of different races and experiences. At first I was feeling a little bit like an imposter, I guess, like I didn't belong there because a lot of the people just were so different than me. 
And I felt like I couldn't relate to them about their experiences. But as I got to know them personally, then I was able to learn from their experiences. So that was really cool. And let's see, the first part of the trip, we got to go to... Let's see, what were some of the trips? What were some of the things that we went to? We got to go to the Rosa Parks Museum. That one was incredible. We got that, to, yeah. yeah, we got to watch, you know, the little scene on the bus where it shows what it would look like when Rosa Parks got arrested from the bus. <laughs> Something very interesting that I learned that I didn't know is that Rosa Parks didn't even break the law. I always thought it was civil disobedience, but she really wasn't being disobedient to any law. So there was, Crow, right? yeah, well, not even that because. Um, I think the law was that a black person had to move if they were, I think, sitting in a, the white section. But she was sitting in the middle section. And so she wasn't breaking any law. And so she wasn't even obligated, obligated by the law to move because she was in the middle section. And so they tried to make her move anyways. And then she still got arrested even though she wasn't breaking any law. So that was very interesting to me because nobody ever taught me that she never broke the law it was just seen as civil disobedience which you know is also good to make change but a lot of times people will see that also as a crime or also something to look down upon mm-hmm. um like Colin so, Kaepernick right so you know that was just another lie tossed into history but it was so interesting to to learn that to learn something new and just see how how people tell history, how history, I guess, changes or how people try to make it seem like something that it's not. So that was very interesting to learn. And I think another one of my favorite parts of the trip was the Equality and Justice Museum that happened towards the end of the trip. And so that one, I'm sure you guys remember that museum. I think it was a little bit different by the time I went because they updated it. But the Are you museum, talking about the, the really big long one in Montgomery. Yeah, that one. Yeah, so they when our year was the first year that we got to walk through the because they had a smaller version in downtown Montgomery, kind mm-hmm. of. That's the one mm-hmm. I went to. That's what. Yeah, oh. but last year was the first year that. So we got to experience like the full on one that felt like uh, you were in there for hours and you still mm-hmm. feel like you didn't see everything. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the one. That one was, it was really long. <laughs> and like you said, I still felt like I didn't see everything. I still felt like I didn't see or learn enough. And so what was so interesting about that one is it went from slavery to mass incarceration. And so mm-hmm. just as soon as you walk in, you can just feel the heaviness. There was a big screen that showed... Um, huge waves of water like the Atlantic Ocean to kind of represent how they were how the Africans were on the ship and bring being brought to the Americas and it just showed some words on the screen just talking about how uh, three quarters of the people on the ship actually died due to poor conditions and sicknesses and so I never even thought about what a great portion of them died just on the way. And then they Mm -hmm. continued to bring people on those ships in the same way. They didn't even think about, oh, you know, three quarters of them are dying. Maybe we should do it differently. No, they 
they absolutely didn't care. Mm -hmm. And so it was just very heavy to stand in front of that huge screen. You feel so small and you just feel the heaviness of knowing what's ahead. And I thought that was interesting because mm -hmm. the people on that ship, they didn't know what was ahead. But mm -hmm. me having learned the history, knowing that it was going to be slavery, it just felt so heavy to me. And I'm sure it felt heavy to them as well, but a lot more scary or a lot scarier because they didn't know what was coming. They just knew these strangers who didn't speak their language was taking them on the ship to this unknown land. And so you go through the museum, there's a little bit more history about how the slaves were sold and auctioned and separated from their families. There was a section where it had um, different cages and they had holograms of slaves in black and white and each of them had a story and if you walked up close enough then the hologram would start to play and you'd be able to listen to them so that was that was very very impactful because it was just so interactive and it made you feel like you were there and in that time period and it was very impactful just to hear each of their stories and one particularly painful one was a cage that had two children in it and they weren't telling a story or anything they just were saying mama mama can you can you help us find our mama and that was just so so heavy to watch because it made me think of my own family and you know what if I lived in that time how would I feel if I got separated from my siblings I love my siblings so much it it would just be so painful to be separated from them, just not knowing what was going to happen to them, not knowing if I would ever see them again. So that was, it was very personal to me, even though I had never lived in that time period. And a little bit all throughout the, the museum, it talked more about slavery, the conditions of slavery, and then also what was happening during the reconstruction area or reconstruction era. And the part that was particularly heavy was the lynchings. Something unique that I learned was that, I mean, I always knew about lynchings and that they happened often, but something I didn't know was that it was literally a part of the culture of a lot mm. of white Southerners and they were events. So, you know, whenever someone was going to get lynched, it would be announced in the paper. It would be advertised. It would be executed like a carnival. People would sell toys and snacks and play games all to wait for someone to be lynched. And they had absolutely no mercy, no chill. They would not just lynch black men, black children, black women. They, they had no sense of any type of mercy or love or anything. And it was just painful to see that. They just saw black people as just all the same. You know, children weren't children. It was just black people, you know, and not even mm -hmm. people. We were seen as less than human. So that was very hard to see, um, seeing that lynchings were just so, not just casual, but celebrated and advertised. Some of them were even put on postcards to be sent. They would auction off body parts of the victims who were being lynched. And I just can't even fathom the, the inhumanity and the disrespect, the hate and the cruelty. I can't imagine how you would hate someone so much to 
be able to do those things, to have the capacity to do those things, it just amazed me. And I know that I will never understand that. I don't think it's meant to be understand. I hope nobody understands that because if you understand why someone would do that, then, you know, that's scary. But um, a little bit later on throughout the museum, it talked more about mass incarceration. And it was very eye-opening to see that because I had always heard people saying, you know, slavery, it hasn't really been abolished. Like, we're still enslaved today. And I always thought, okay, I don't really know what that means. I mean, I'm free. But on the trip and specifically in this museum, I was able to realize that slavery has not really been abolished. It has just evolved and it has evolved into mass incarceration. And just seeing a lot of the statistics, like one in three black men can expect to be or expect to spend some time in prison in their life. That was just astounding to me. And one of the parts that was really interesting and one of the parts that I really liked um, because it was so interactive was a part where it had these TV screens and it was set up like a a telephone booth like when you go Mm -hmm. to the prison and talk to someone who's incarcerated um so they had the the phones for you to pick up and once you picked up the phone then the the video on the screen would play and it would have the other person picking up the phone and so that was very interactive so it felt like you were talking to this person in actuality while they were in prison and so there would be actors but they would be representing real people who were unjustly incarcerated for petty crimes or for false accusations, things like that. And so it was very interesting to hear their stories and to empathize with them. And it was very hard, extremely hard, just knowing that these things still happen today. And so those were kind of the main parts of the museum, but I left with a sense of just wanting to know what I can do to help and in what ways, because I learned so much on the trip. So when you gain a lot of knowledge, you have to, you have to use it, you know? So that's what I've kind of been juggling with is what am I going to do with this knowledge? And that reminded me a lot of another part that we went to right after that museum, which was, I think it was called the Lynch Memorial, the Equality and Justice Lynch Memorial, something like that. And so it had um, different, I don't really know what they were called, but they were each memorials. Um, They kind of looked like bells that were hanging from the ceiling. I'm sure y'all went there. I don't know, Mm -hmm. how how would you describe what the memorials looked like? I don't even know. Yeah, probably memorial is just the best way to put it. But mm-hmm. just like giant, like, like pillars. Or... They're very large pillars that are rectangle and they're yeah. hanging by like yeah. a rod, like a yeah. metal rod. And the mm-hmm. pillar is like this brown, reddish material. So when it rains, it is supposed to like um, invoke the feeling of like blood. Yeah. Oh, okay. And like the color of it is supposed to, isn't it like the color of it supposed to represent like the skin color of black people or something like that? Or am I, am I remembering that wrong? Um, I don't necessarily, maybe, yes. I just know it was, like, the reddish-brown color is more mm-hmm. about, like, 
blood. Mm-hmm. I don't know about yeah. the skin color. I just do definitely know about the blood. Yeah, okay. there's a lot of sense. symbolism about it, so it could mm-hmm. be anything. But that's kind of what the memorials looked like, and there were hundreds of them. There were a lot of them. And so you would walk through, and each memorial was split into different counties in the south, and each one underneath the name of the county had all the names of the lynch victims. And some of the counties had so many, mm-hmm. <laughs> so many lynch victims. Utah's and up there. Yeah, Utah was up there too. We saw it. <laughs> yeah, and that's it's every single county in the United States, not yeah. just some. Okay, every not just the south. One. Yeah. Okay. No, it's every everywhere, all oh, over the okay. every state. No state is safe. Yeah, and mind you, these are not all of them. These are just the recorded ones, or the ones that they found records for. Right. So not even all of them. We don't know, we don't even know how many more there are. Mm-hmm. But as you walk through the memorial sites, it has a decline, so you can turn and then go down, and you can see. Well, at first, you're at the same level of all the memorials. And actually, none of them are touching the ground. They're all kind of hovering. But as you go down, it just looks like they're getting higher and higher. And one of my friends in the the group, he related to some symbolism that he saw, is that when he was at ground level with them, it was like you know, he was being the one being lynched Mm. and how he was like looking down at everything and then when he went on the decline when he saw all of them getting higher it was like he was witnessing a lynching and after the decline there's kind of a lower area and it has this fountain of just all this water just pouring down and some people saw it as how it was representing tears flowing but I thought, you know, there there's not enough water that could float that could represent all the tears that was shed. And other people were saying that it represented the justice that should be flowing. And it had some words across the wall that was saying that all the lynch victims, they're all honored and respected here. And that just gave me so much comfort because just seeing how how horrific lynchings were and how they mutilated the bodies and things like that. Um, What they really deserved was honor and respect. And I just love that they were honored and respected in that place and remembered. And there was another part when you were able to go up and go up these stairs and kind of stand in the middle of the entire memorial and look at all the, the memorials around you. And it was like you were almost being judged by them and how you were standing before them. And it was like they were asking you, what are you going to do with this knowledge? What are you going to do to help us receive the justice that we deserve, the justice that we never received? And so all that was just very, it was very heavy, just knowing that, you know, I'm here, this is my time to fight, and I have to do something about it. I can't just sit around. I don't have the privilege to just sit around and do nothing, watch from the sidelines. I have to to stand up and fight. And that's heavy to realize sometimes. And it takes some time to process it and realize or just figure out what you're going to do. But it's, it's very heavy, but also very hopeful, knowing that you have so much power than you think you do. And you have the power to to do good and to help your ancestors or the people back then um, gain the justice that that they never received. And so 
that was all in the same day. <laughs> so many feelings within the same day. And I learned so much. But it was just really cool to learn about all those things and realize that I had to do something with the knowledge that I had gained. But those are kind of my, my favorite parts of the trip. But did you guys have any questions about anything else I experienced on the trip? I think you covered most of it. I don't know, Rachel, did you have anything? Um, I think more so outside of like the actual experiences, like what were your, now that you had time away from the trip, right? And like to think about it, like, do you have any like feelings or like thoughts about like taking away almost, you know, of like after you've been through it, it was a very emotional week. We both know as people who have participated in this, but now like reflecting on it, what do you have any thoughts or things that you um, have kind of gathered since leaving the trip? Good question. Um, I think mostly what I was saying, just that I have to do something with the knowledge that I have gained. And that also there's just so much history out there. And I honestly, I don't even know a lot of it. I still have to, to keep learning, to keep educating myself about it. Because education is power. And education is one of the most powerful weapons. So I think those are two main things is just being more educated about it and doing something with that education. And something also very personal that I learned was just from everyone on the trip, just learning about their experiences and how I have to appreciate them and how I can love them. And it was just amazing to see and learn from different parts of the black diaspora because that's something that I've been struggling with because I want to be seen but I have to remember that there are other people out there who also want to be seen and there's also a really special experience that I had at one of the museums it was the museum right off of the Edmund Pettus Bridge which is where Bloody Sunday happens Mm -hmm. we got to walk across the bridge that was amazing and So something in that museum that I really loved, it wasn't even a huge museum or anything like that, but there was a song playing in there. Um, It was just the same song on a loop the whole time (laughs) for like an hour. But it was of of a children's choir singing, and they said that somebody died for me and they didn't even know me someone bled for me and they didn't even know my name and so I I really liked that because I felt seen I felt seen by my ancestors or even just my grandparents (laughs) you know it's not even that far back it's only two generations back of when I had people related to me fighting for me in the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. and you know my my grandparents you know granny mom pop you know they were marching for us Mm -hmm. when they didn't even know us they didn't even know that we existed yet they didn't know our parents existed yet and so because they did those things and so many others then we were able to have the the strength that we have today and the just the different good experiences that we had today and they didn't even know us and so many other people who I'm not even related to they also you know died for me they fought for me and so something else that I've also been learning about something that has been taught since the beginning of this course was that the civil rights movement is a very it wasn't political, it was spiritual. So it had a lot to do with just with God, with Jesus Christ, or even if 
people in there weren't Christian, you know, Malcolm X, he was Muslim, or there may have been people in there who didn't have religion at all. But something I found personally was it kind of related to Jesus Christ and how he died for people. Um, and so that, I was able to make that connection there and find that, that spiritual connection. So that was really cool. So I was crying a lot in that museum. I was crying the whole the whole trip. I'm sure people thought I was just the crazy girl who was always crying. <laughs> but it was very, very impactful for me. So very personal. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Need you any other questions? Um, I don't think I have any other questions. But yeah, it's the Civil Rights Seminar is an amazing experience. It's definitely mm-hmm. life altering. Um, you know, for people at BYU, because a lot of times it's yeah. like the first experience that you have in college. Um, if you don't seek it out, it's like the first experience that you have learning about black history in college, you know? Mm-hmm. And like me and Ali, you know, we grew up learning black history and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, actually like being connected to it was, was pretty significant. And the civil rights seminar helped do that a lot, you know, cause there's only so much research you can do on your own, but like actually being able to be in those places and, um, you know, like like see the names of people who died and, and, and see the places where those things happen, it's it's kind of surreal. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it really has a way of connecting you to the experience and to your roots, to your ancestors, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I would recommend if you are at BYU and you're looking for, you know, a safe place where you can learn more about your black history, I would say definitely apply to the Civil Rights Seminar mm-hmm. because it's a life-changing trip and it's very impactful, very educational. Yeah. yeah. Applications usually start in October. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a black student, you don't have to be black. You can be a student of any race, um, but it is, I believe, catered mostly towards black students mm-hmm. at BYU. But you can be from any background and still go on the civil rights seminar yeah Uh, but if you connect with people in the black student union at byu then they can you know get you more information about when they have it but i believe applications usually start in october and then it's an entire semester from january to april so Mm -hmm. yeah it's all it's always a good time cool well any other questions comments Nope. Okay. Yeah, I think that's about it. We'll keep it a short one this week. But uh, yeah, thank you for coming on and for sharing your experiences. You had a no lot of problem. great things to say, and I could like. Yeah, sorry if I talked too much. No, that was perfect. <laughs> oh, no, well, that's the whole point of this <laughs> is we invited you to be on, so you could talk. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. You're right. Yeah, it was very like very descriptive. Like as you were describing, mm-hmm. I've never been to the new, the updated. Um, memorial but i could kind of like picture it as you were describing it yeah. so that was cool i highly recommend that's like i love museums and that's like top three in the united states you have to go oh, yeah. to in my opinion for sure. I will for sure argue with people on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i need to go back to that one and then i want to go to the smithsonian the black history black history museum in dc oh, yeah that one and has then, like seven floors doesn't it something like that I'm not, yeah, i want to go there too one. let's do a black people go to dc trip so, black ministers go to dc part two Let's do it. We'll make it happen. Cool. We gotta get this podcast going first. And it'll fly us out. Yep. So if you know somebody who wants to, you know, who's looking for a good podcast, recommend this one. Um, also, oh, can I ask y'all what were kind of your favorite experiences on the trip? Yeah. 
Yeah, mine was definitely the uh, the Equal Justice Memorial. Um, going there and like being, you know, it was much smaller when I went. It was basically mm-hmm. like a little hole in the wall, and then you had the memorial outside. Um, and we actually, did we go? Was it on Easter? I feel like it was close to Easter. It may not have been Easter Sunday, but I think it was just close. To, anyway, um, but I remember going there, and it was a beautiful spring day, and we got to be outside and um, just kind of sit within that space. And I remember them being like, oh, smile for the picture. I'm like, I don't want to smile. Like, like what? This is not a place to, right. <laughs> this is not a place to smile. This is a heavy, somber mm-hmm. place. Like, you know, people died, and their names are here. Yeah. Um but that was a very sobering experience, um, and it was very – it just connected me to my roots in a deep way. So that was my favorite. What about you, Rachel? I'd say my favorite definitely was the museum just because it made you think about so much at once. You know, I think different parts of the trip make you think about specific moments, mm-hmm. you know, like Bloody Sunday, great, whatever. But that museum, the new one that she's talking about, the visual aspects of the museum, top tier, line – Hopefully black people are part of that. I love seeing the different ways that black people um, show their creativity. But it just really made you, it brought you through it like it was your experience. And understanding like these are the people that you come from and realizing like, wow, this is what my people have experienced since they arrived in the United States. And like, but also feeling that disconnection of not knowing fully like who my ancestors are, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. because there were no records, I felt a lot of that too. Like I felt this overall the whole trip i was like feeling of like oh my gosh what is my culture like i was like what is black people's culture and realizing how much had been stolen and how much we had to like figure out on our own but then also realizing on the trip that part of my i remember in the museum it was like the temple for any of those people who listen who have been active are active when you go into the temple there's this room called the celestial room and it's like this aha moment and you're supposed to like really connect with god and be very um you know, very close, uh, an opportunity to feel very close to him. That's how the final room in uh, this museum felt. Mm-hmm. The ceiling was super high. It was photos of, you know, so many people in history that are important to the black community. And there were videos playing. And just realizing that, like, my culture, part of my culture, my history is resistance. Like, we don't have the typical story because we were not brought here or chose to come here. It was, you know people being forced and and being stolen. And because of that, our ethnic group as black Americans is different than anyone else that ever exists in mankind. And I can have pride in that and know that like, that is what my culture is, is standing up and fighting against things and um, being a part of the change. That's my history. Like, like realizing that on that trip being like, that's my history. That's where I come from is this, it doesn't feel like, you know, other people's cultures you know we don't have traditional clothing and whatnot but we have you know songs we have uh the gospel in terms of like church as an entity is really is you know historical in our communities and just um knowing those things and feeling like a a better sense of connection is also what i took away from that museum Mm -hmm. i like that that's cool Mm -hmm. yeah because it can be hard to find you know your culture when you are African-American, when the records of your ancestors have been or just weren't recorded or stolen or destroyed, things like that. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I feel like America got a Rita Skeeter-ass version of black history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
They only teach you about Rosa Parks, Dr. King. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm re-listening to the Harry Potter books, and I'm, I'm, every time I listen to the books, I find that uh, there's a lot of a lot of uh, there's a lot of symbolism in there for mm-hmm. a lot of things. You can learn a lot about life from Harry Potter. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're gonna jump right into our recommendations. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Rachel, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Ooh, let's see. I don't know if I have. I have to think. Um, okay, actually, I do a recommendation. I bought something this week that has been very helpful. So um, on TikTok this summer, because I'm influenced by everything I see on the internet, um, there was this thing called Cowboy Caviar, which was controversial, mm. but we're not going to get into that. Mm, Wait, is anyway. that the, with the corn and the beans? And, and the avocado? Yes. As my boyfriend says, it is Southwest Pico de Gallo, whatever. Mm. Not the, I'm not debating what it is. I'm just telling you that's how I got introduced to this shit. And that's what I call it because that's how I got introduced. I'm sorry if this is, you know, it's similar to other things. Anyway, I digress. So I eat a lot of that because I'm trying to eat more, you know, vegetables and shit and, you know, more whole mm-hmm. foods. And so um, I always be chopping shit up, though. You know, it takes time. So then I finally invested in the things that you like put the thing in, like the oh, uh, and then you and it like closed. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It's actually very nice. It's very easy to clean up and it's kind of crazy. You can't do tomatoes in it. I mean, maybe you can, someone needs to show me, but I'm kind of scared with mm-hmm. all the juice. But everything else, it's nice, especially with like onions. If you eat guacamole a lot, like I eat a lot of guac, and again, this chopping up onions is literally the biggest pain in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's so fast with this. So you don't cry because you just and you're done. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my recommendation. Nice. It is like eighteen dollars on Amazon. Is it one of like yeah. the spring loaded ones where you just like keep hitting it and it just like the blade goes down? No, 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 no. no. So it's like a okay, let me grab my phone. It's like a little container. Uh-huh. There's like a bottom part for it, and mm-hmm. then there's a blade here, and you put like you can't put a whole ass onion. It's not that strong. Mm-hmm. You like cut up an onion, you put a piece, and then you just like bring this top piece down and you close it. Oh, and then once okay. You close it, it presses on the blade uh-huh. and then it cuts it all. Oh, so it just cuts it all in one in one shot. Yeah, you can't do the whole onion though. Is the blade is not right. that strong enough for that? Mm. I feel like you will fuck it up. But mm. definitely, like you can cut it into like four pieces and get it done very quickly. Okay, okay. that's that's good to know. That's cool. That's nice. My recommendation. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see here. My recommendation for the week. I uh, I'm still in my Libby kick. Been reading books every week. Or listening to books every week because I'm always on the go. So I listen to a book when I drive. Listen to a book when I'm um, supposed to be working. Just kidding. Uh, right. No felt. Listen, lately I haven't had time because I've been studying for this test. But anyway, um, so you know, whenever I listen to a book, um, you know, I've been sorry. I've been listening to different ones. Anyway, this week I just finished Mormonism and White Supremacy by Joanna Brooks. That was an interesting book. Um, and it talked about basically just the history of white supremacy in the church, how it started with Joseph Smith a little bit and then Brigham Young and how like uh, officials in the church falsified testimony about Joseph Smith in order to bring the priesthood ban into place. Um, so it's a very interesting book. And it just kind of talks about the history of that all the way up until the present day. So if you're looking for an interesting and honest read, it's called Mormonism and White Supremacy by Joanna Brooks. Check it out. Sounds pretty dope. Okay, let's see. For my recommendation, let's see. The only thing I can think of is just the restaurants 
back in the south that I went to because <laughs> I've That's been good. on my mind you know. lately. <laughs> but I think the best one, okay, two of the best ones I had was Odessa's Blessing. I think that one's in Montgomery, if I'm mm-hmm, not mistaken. It is. Yeah, You're Odessa's correct. Blessing. It was like a small business. It was the house that was turned into a restaurant. So if you want to go support black businesses, small black businesses, go to that one when you're in Montgomery. Also, when you're in, I think, I think this one is also in Montgomery, um, is Penny George's. That was probably the best food that I had down there. Wait, did we go there? I don't think we went there. It's like, it's in the same building as the, the EJI Museum. But that's the new one, so I don't know. If oh, that the, the that restaurant. Okay, that it's was It's like good. the cafeteria style Yes, one. that was, yes. Yeah, that, that one was. was so good. The fried chicken slap, the candy yams, just the best I've ever had in my life. Mac and cheese. Mm, I miss so southern good. food. So I miss good. my Me mission. Too. That food was so accessible all the time. <laughs> catfish. If I was craving catfish, I could go down the road five minutes and buy catfish so easily. <laughs> But yeah, those would be my recommendations. So Dessa's Blessing and Penny George's. Best food. But you know the best southern food I've ever had? Oh dear, not KFC. No. Stop. <laughs> Are you kidding? KFC? You. It's like you better not say no, KFC. No. The best southern food I've ever had? Popeye's chicken right here oh in Utah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I what joke. southern I'm food? kidding. No, it's not. Anyway. <laughs> all the Popeye's here is, you know, it's all right. But I feel like food in Utah be taking a hit. Yeah, it it does. Even the fast food. Even the fast food. That's Something true. about it. The quality That's just ain't true. as good. You don't hit, especially the when they be getting your order wrong every single time. Oh, and and it's like you're not. It, this is not food good enough to get wrong. Like, I don't even like this shit, and now you're getting it wrong. Like, it's doing something to my mental. Mm-hmm. Like, this is affecting me mentally. Remember those TikToks? No, but no? yes, that's how I feel. Okay, yeah, those are great. <laughs> anyway, cool. I think that's all we got for this week. Yes. Alexandria, thank you for coming on. No You've problem. come a long way thank from you. when I used to change your diapers. I'm proud oh of my you. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. That's the show for today. We were super excited to be able to talk with you about the wonderful topics of the Black Menace podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Black Menaces and subscribe to our Patreon, The Menace Society, for bonus content and footage of both the podcast and our videos. We look forward to hearing from y'all in our email. You can email us menace moments and other questions that you may have for us. Be sure to email blackmenacepodcast at gmail.com to get those menace moments and questions flowing into our inbox. We'll answer you on the podcast and respond to you in the email. And remember, always be a menace. Thank you, guys. <laughs>